Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin. My essay this week is called From the Judean Desert to the Jordan River. John baptizes his cousin Jesus. <coughs> it's based upon the lectionary readings for Sunday, January 11, 2009. After living in total obscurity his entire life, in his late 20s, Jesus left his family in Nazareth to join the movement of his eccentric cousin John. Jesus might have submitted himself to John as a disciple to a mentor. And some people think that John was part of the apocalyptic Jewish sect of Essenes who opposed the temple in Jerusalem. But at least this much is clear. John the baptizer was a prophet of radical descent. His detractors said that he had a demon, Luke 7.33. Whereas his father had been part of the religious establishment as a priest in the Jerusalem temple, John fled the comforts and the corruptions of the city for the loneliness of the desert. There he dressed in animal skins, ate insects and wild honey, and preached. Living on the margins of society, both literally and figuratively, John preached a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, Mark chapter 1, verse 4, which is to say that he announced a message of both indictment and invitation. Contrary to what we might have expected from such an ascetic man with an austere message, the Gospels say that people flock to John. In the epistle for this week, we read that even in faraway Ephesus, people submitted to the baptism of John. Acts 19.3 <coughs> John's preaching in the Judean desert in baptizing in the Jordan River, confronted both the religious and the political powers of his day. About six months after John emerged from the desert like some scraggly lunatic to baptize Jesus, he was beheaded at the whim of Herod the Tetrarch, who at a dinner party one night capitulated to the sadistic demand of his girlfriend's daughter. John was the forerunner of Jesus, but he was also a fourth teller to Herod, having rebuked Herod for sleeping with his brother's wife. But as with many perverse politicians, Herod has his, had his way with John, who had spoken truth to power, and so John was murdered. The temple establishment in Jerusalem which exercised a gatekeeper monopoly on mediating God's forgiveness to people, they didn't like him preaching from the periphery either. John castigated these religious authorities as a so-called brood of vipers, or as one translation puts it, snake bastards. The religious experts, said Jesus in Luke 7.30, spurned John's call to baptismal repentance and in so doing, quote, rejected God's purpose for themselves, end quote. 
The prophetic word of God from John the Baptist then did not originate with the state powers or with the religious establishment, nor did it find a receptive audience with them. Instead of cooperation, accommodation, or resignation, John challenged these religious and political powers with his anti-establishment message of protest and renewal. By joining John the Baptizer's fringe movement, Jesus did likewise. With some important stylistic differences, all four Gospels tell the story of Jesus' baptism by John. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. After his radical rupture with his own family and with conventional society by identifying with the desert troublemaker, Jesus' own family tried to apprehend him. The village of Nazareth tried to kill him as a deranged crackpot. Why did Jesus the Greater submit to baptism by John the Lesser? Did he need to repent of his own sins? The earliest witnesses of his baptism must have asked this question, because in Matthew's Gospel, John the baptizer tried to deter Jesus. Why do you come to me? I need to be baptized by you. John insinuates that Jesus was not, in fact, getting baptized for his own sins. Even a hundred years after the event, the baptism of Jesus made some Christians feel uneasy. In the non-canonical gospel of the Hebrews, for example, Jesus denies that he needs to repent. He seems to get baptized to please his mother. We read, The mother of the Lord and his brothers said to him, John the Baptist baptizes for the forgiveness of sins. Let us go and be baptized by him. But he said to them, in what way have I sinned that I should go and be baptized by him? Unless perhaps what I have just said is a sin of ignorance. Still others have suggested that Jesus set an example for us, that just as he was baptized, we too should be baptized. More than anything, Jesus' baptism inaugurated his public ministry by identifying with what Mark describes as, quote, the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem. He allied himself with the faults and failures, the pains and the problems of all the broken and hurting people who had flocked to the Jordan River. By wading into the waters with them, he took his place beside us and among us. And so, not long into his public mission, the sanctimonious religious leaders derided Jesus as a friend of gluttons and sinners. They were certainly right about that. <clears throat> with his baptism, Jesus openly and decisively stood shoulder to shoulder with me in my fears and anxieties. He intentionally took sides with people in their neediness. 
he declared that God was biased in their favor. We read in Hebrews 4:15 and 16, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. God's abundant mercy, Jesus said, is available directly and immediately to every person. It is not the private preserve doled out by the temple establishment or the religious experts. Jesus' baptismal solidarity with broken people was vividly confirmed by divine affirmation and empowerment. Still wet with water after his cousin had plunged him beneath the Jordan River, Jesus heard a voice and saw a vision. The declaration of God the Father that Jesus was his beloved Son and the descent of God the Spirit in the form of a dove the vision and the voice punctuated the baptismal event. They signaled the meaning, the message, and the mission of Jesus as he went public after 30 years of invisibility. That by the power of the Spirit, the Son of God embodied his Father's unconditional embrace of all people everywhere. For books this week, I review Walter Brueggemann, Prayers for a Privileged People, Nashville, Abington Press, 2008, 183 pages. For over 30 years now, Walter Brueggemann, born in 1933, has combined the best of critical scholarship with love for the local church in service to the kingdom of God. Now a professor emeritus of Old Testament studies at Columbia Theological Seminary in Decatur, Georgia, Brueggemann has authored over 70 books. Except for a three-page preface, this, this entire book consists only of 86 prayers organized around six broad themes. The book has no conclusion, no index, no bibliography at the end. I found myself wishing that Brueggemann had concluded with a theological or pastoral reflection on the theme of privilege as he sees it now in the eighth decade of his life. Some of these prayers reflect on specific passages of scripture. Others take their cue from the calendar, like prayers for Super Bowl Sunday, Income Tax Day, or Mother's Day. Still other prayers follow the lectionary days, like Epiphany or Easter. These psalm-like poems or prayers embody the ancient maxim of lex orande lex credendi, that the way or the law of prayer is the way of believing. They combine the prophetic transgressive and the pastoral compassionate and demonstrate just how subversive is the act of prayer for those of us who are all too comfortable with privilege, safety, control, and competence. These prayers lead us toward a spirit of true candor about God, 
ourselves, and the world. So I highly recommend this little gem of a book for both personal and liturgical use. Walter Brueggemann, Prayers for a Privileged People. For film this week, I review The Boy in the Striped Pajamas from 2008. What did the Holocaust look like through the eyes of Jewish children who were consigned to the concentration camps? Or for that matter, what did it look like through the eyes of an entirely normal Nazi family whose father was, quote-unquote, promoted from Berlin to be the commandant of a death camp in the countryside. Little Bruno is only eight years old, so he's naturally curious about the so-called farm, which is only a few hundred yards from his family mansion, where people wear striped pajamas with numbers on them, where black smoke billows from chimneys, and where horrid smells fill the air. And if Pavel was a doctor, why was he now wearing those pajamas and peeling potatoes in his family's kitchen? Little Bruno forms an unlikely friendship through an electric barbed wire with another eight-year-old, Shmuel. The innocence that they share puts into bold relief the horrendous consequences of the Holocaust. For the Jews, obviously, but in unlikely and catastrophic ways for every member of this prim, proper, and patriotic German family whose father was responsible for, quote, making the world better, end quote. The film then explores a horrible paradox of the Holocaust, that an evil of unimaginable magnitude was carried out by everyday people just like us. The Boy in the Striped Pajamas. <clears throat> and finally this week, for poetry and prayer, we posted a poem by Walter Brueggemann. It's from his book that we've just reviewed, Prayers for a Privileged People, Nashville, Abington, 2008, pages 79 and 80. This poem, or prayer, is called Dreams and Nightmares. Last night, as I lay sleeping, I had a dream so fair. I dreamed of the holy city, well-ordered and just. I dreamed of a garden of paradise, well-being all around, in a good water supply. I dreamed of disarmament and forgiveness, and caring embrace for all those in need. I dreamed of a coming time when death is no more. Last night, as I lay sleeping, I had a nightmare of sins unforgiven. I had a nightmare of landmines still exploding and maimed children. I had a nightmare of the poor left unloved of the homeless left unnoticed, of the dead left ungrieved. I had a nightmare of quarrels and rages and wars great and small. When I awoke, I found you still to be God, 
presiding over the day and night with serene sovereignty. For dark and light are both alike to you. At the break of day, we submit to you our best dreams and our worst nightmares, asking that your healing mercy should override threats, that your goodness will make our nightmares less toxic and our dreams more real. Thank you for visiting us with newness that overrides what is old and deathly among us. Come among us this day. Dream us toward health and peace. We pray in the real name of Jesus, who exposes our fantasies. Walter Brueggemann, from the book Prayers for a Privileged People. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for Sunday, January the 11th, 2009. I'm Daniel B. Clendenin.